This morning, we are in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings. You might have to go to your index to find that. But uh, it's important. The Old Testament is filled with stories of people's lives. Some people, examples of how we should live, others of how we shouldn't live. Some are written for our benefit in both ways. And this morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most positive examples in the entire Old Testament, but a person's life who's almost never looked at, which is King Josiah. I want to set a little bit of context as you're turning to 2 Kings 22. The context in the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham, God chose a people, a people of Israel. And in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be one of God's people, you came and you joined that nation. You became a Jew. And the Jewish nation went up and down and all over the place. And it's filled of many examples of rebellion and, and all kinds of sins, sometimes strong, sometimes weak, depending on their leaders. But Israel had kings, and after King Solomon, the nation was divided into two parts, a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And Josiah was the 16th king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And Josiah comes on the, king, the scene 80 years after the northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrians. It was a fall related to judgment, the Lord's judgment on the wickedness of the people. And so Josiah comes way down the line in the kings of Israel. And we'll see why that's important in a moment. But we're going to come into the story where Josiah was a, a, a young man at 26 years of age. He became king at eight years old. Really young king, had to have lots of help from somebody. Uh, I'm sure mom was involved there somewhere. But at the 18th year of his reign, when he was 26 years of age, he commissioned a um, a renovation of the temple. And so he sends workmen in to start cleaning this place out and reworking it. And in the process of renovating the temple, they find a copy of the Pentateuch. Think about that, okay? They had lost the scriptures. They found a copy of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the record of the creation of the world, the record of Abraham and the Exodus and all that God had done, and the law, what God wanted them to do, how the Lord wanted them to live. They had completely lost track of it. And the scroll is read by the royal secretary and brought to King Josiah for his examination. So that's where we jump in today. So if you would please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word. We're going to read the first 13 verses of 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah and Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Saphon, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Saphon the secretary, 
I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphon, and he read it. And Saphon, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house, and they have delivered it into the hand of the workmen, who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Saphon, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Saphon read it to the king, read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Achiam the son of Saphon, Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Saphon the secretary, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning of us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Be seated. So, they find a copy of the scriptures. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about this verse 2. So interesting. Verse 2 is a summary of King Josiah's life. It says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. I ask you this morning, if at the end of your life or after you pass away, someone was to summarize your life in one sentence, what would that look like? How would they summarize your life? This is a remarkable summary of someone's life that a king who had many duties, many things going on, that his life is summarized by his intense godliness and how it is that he loved the Lord. And it's so different because it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first description of his life which is so different than the end of the book of Judges. The end of the book of Judges is one of the low points in all of the Old Testament with the people of Israel. And it says the opposite. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So they were all doing whatever they wanted to do, but Josiah cared about what God wanted him to do. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so the question for us when looking at this is, Who determines what is right and wrong? This is a question for every age and in every day and in every culture. Who determines what is right and wrong? Does the Lord determine what is right or wrong? Does the Supreme Court determine what is right or wrong? Does the person who has the the most power and the most guns in a totalitarian government, do they determine what is right and wrong? Is there any right and wrong? This brings to us an important ethical distinction and something I want to talk about because it matters. It's something called the the is or ought distinction in our thinking. It's the way things are or how it is, what is going on at the time versus the way things ought to be. So in Josiah's day, things were going on. There was a pattern. There was a way that things just were. But what happened with Josiah is he was awoken by the scriptures, as we'll see in a moment, to the way things ought to be. And he realized there was a huge disconnect between the way things were and the way things ought to be. And he was awoken to the reality that God is the one who determines what is right from wrong. And he realized that he and the entire nation were far out of step for what they ought to be doing. We see in our nation today, the way things are 
It's what the news reports every day, the way things are. But often in our heart, we know it's not the way things ought to be. The voice of Scripture is clear and consistent from beginning to end that the Lord, our Creator, has determined before creation by the mandates of His own character what is morally right and what is morally wrong. He will hold the world to his perfect standard of righteousness, a standard which all people fall short of. This is the joy of the gospel, that every single one of us falls short of the standard that God has set for us, but there is an open door of forgiveness through Jesus that we all might be right before the Lord. But right and wrong is determined by God and by his character. It has always been this way, and it will always be this way until the end of the world when the Lord God judges the world. So Josiah lived his life by this law. It's the first way in which his life is described in verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The second thing about the way that the life of Josiah is described in verse 2 is that he walked in the ways of his father David. It's looking back to previous kings. He's in a long line of kings, but most of those kings were terrible. Most of them were wicked, lived for themselves, lived for their own conquest. But he looked back to David. He followed in David's example, and he lived by his example. David was not a perfect person. We know the accounts of David. He sinned greatly. But what's the big thing that jumps out about the life of David is that David loved the Lord. He loved God from his heart. And he was genuine in his love for the Lord. And when he sinned and when he fell, he asked for forgiveness and received the forgiveness of God. And it is the same with us. That's why we're looking at the life of Josiah today. We should look at the lives of people that are faithful and love the Lord before us. And we should look at their example, see how they lived, and walk in a pattern similar to theirs. So for Josiah, he walked in the pattern of David. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the pattern of David. And what's the third part of the description about his life? It says that he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So what does this mean? To me, this this points us towards the idea of what Jesus said, that the Christian life is like a narrow path. In a narrow path, you can get off track one way or the other and soon either be lost or fall off a cliff. I love hiking, especially out west. And when we go out to Glacier National Park or some of these big parks, If you get too far off the trail, you get lost. And it's not like a state park where you're a little bit lost. You can get really, really lost, like where they can't find you. The whole time that we were there, last time there were big posters up about some guy that was lost and nobody ever found him again. And they assumed to bury him, but nobody really knew. He strayed off the path. There are other paths where you just, you literally fall off a cliff and kill yourself if you strayed off the path too far. There's a reason why Jesus compared the Christian life to a narrow path. Because we are to walk, like Josiah, not turning aside to the right or to the left, but keeping our eyes fixed upon the Lord and walking in the manner that he would have us to walk in. And I think when we're looking at this, this is analogous to two different types of sin. And it's analogous to what we're going to see in in how Josiah deals with the state of his nation. Because there are sins of commission and sins of omission and we can fall both ways in our following after the Lord we can go and commit sins which means we're doing things that we know are wrong and we're doing things that we know are forbidden and we shouldn't be doing and that's sinful but on the other hand we can also go in a direction where we are 
omitting or we're not doing things that we know we should be doing. And it's sin in both directions. One direction that I'm doing things, the other I'm not doing things. But both things are not pleasing to the Lord. And we'll see how the nation of Israel was both doing things that were wicked and they were also not doing things that they should have been doing. And that was also counted as sin against them. So Josiah led the people in all these things, and his life was summarized as one who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, one who walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So let's take a look at the next two chapters of of the, the life of Josiah and four aspects of his life. The first one I would like to look at is in chapter 22, verse 13. In 22, verse 13, which is the end of what we read today, it says, for, he says, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written in it. So the first thing about the life of Josiah is that he was convicted of his sins by the reading of Scripture. This is very powerful. He was convicted of his sins by the reading of Scripture. Josiah did not realize the state that he was in. He didn't realize the problem until what happened, until the scriptures were read to him. And when the scriptures were read to him, conviction came upon him, and he realized how terrible their situation was. It said he tore his clothes, which was a a sign of sadness and grief before the Lord. What happens with us is that we are the same way. We can go along and never understand that we are in sin if we do not read the scriptures because what happens is we're in a place say here and I compare myself to the world over here and I say well I'm not nearly as bad as as the world on this side but over here I'm not really as good as that guy either but I'm I'm pretty good where I'm at but what happens is the world never stays where it is so it, it gets worse so the world takes a few steps further that way and I say well I'm not I'm not I'm not that bad I'm not I'm not as bad as the world because the world's over here well but I'm, I'm also better than this person over here. And what happens is the world keeps degrading, and we keep moving, and we keep moving, and we keep moving. And we say we're not as bad as the world, but the world is so far away from the standard of Scripture that unless we wake up to the standard of Scripture before we know it, we're way, way far away from where we should be. And there's only a tinge of conscience, but we just can't, it's not enough to tell us what's wrong or where we ought to be. The Scriptures are described as a plumb line in the book of Amos. A plumb line is a construction tool, and it's something that you hang it, and by gravity it hangs straight down. It's a very simple tool where you can figure out whether a wall is level or not, because you can look at it, and you can look at it from this way, and you can look at it from that way, and you're going to get pretty close to where it's level, but if you want it to be really level, you've got to put a level on it. And if you don't put the bubble on there or hang a line, it's never going to be exactly right. And okay is not good enough in our service for the Lord. And kind of eyeballing it is not good enough because we will get off. And we need to have a standard by which we live. And the scriptures are what will convict us and instruct our hearts for how we ought to be living. They will also give us the encouragement and passion to not only stop things, but do things that we should be doing. Without the scriptures, we will lose our way. And the nation of Israel had lost its way. And so the reading of Scripture convicted Josiah of what he ought to be doing. Sincerity is also not enough. Because there are people who are sincere and zealous 
but without the knowledge of Scripture, they do not have direction for the way that they ought to go. And it's important for us to remember this, and Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 10. He said, They have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So he addresses those people that are zealous to do things that are good, but they're trying to establish their own righteousness. If we go back to looking at Josiah, he did what was righteous in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't try to establish his own righteousness. Our zeal must be according to knowledge which comes from Scripture. Okay, the second aspect of Josiah's life, if we look a few verses down, this whole 14 through 20, and I encourage you this afternoon at some point to read all of this because it is, it's, it's one of the most amazing two chapters in all of Scripture. We find that forgiveness is granted to Josiah and to the nation through confession and belief. Specifically in verse 19, 22:19, it says that because of his heart of penitence and humility before the Lord, the Lord chose to relent his anger or forgive the nation for a period of time. When, the, when Josiah heard how far off the nation was, he wept, he was penitent, meaning he showed sorrow before the Lord, and he humbled himself. He was the king, folks. He, he was in a position not unlike our president. And how amazingly unusual would it be for a president to humble themselves and understand and recognize the authority of someone greater than themselves, and this is what Josiah did. But we see all kinds of reactions to when people are confronted by the Scripture. In the ministry of Jesus, there are people where he preached to them and they repented of their sins and they felt sorrow and they were humble and the Lord forgave their sins and brought them into his fellowship. But there's also people that are just like uh, others in the Old Testament where when they are confronted by the law of the Lord, they double down on their sin and they hate God twice as much as they hated him before and their hearts grow harder and harder. There's some who hear the word of the Lord and they start faking it. You get your Judas characters or Ananias and Sapphira. They say they're doing things, but in their heart, they're far away from the Lord. And that's why it's important to see that Josiah loved God with his heart. His heart was for the Lord. And then we have people that just don't care. Don't care. They have no fear of the Lord. They're not worried about it at all. But what I want you to grasp this morning related to this is that your response does not change God's righteousness. The law of the Lord is what it is, and everyone in here and everyone on the face of the earth will be judged according to the standards of the Lord God. And if you choose to ignore it, reject it, or obey it, the standard will not change. And it's, our, it's my prayer for you and my longing for you that you will see, as Josiah did, that you are under this standard, that you will ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness, and find joy in serving the Lord. Because the effect is tremendous. And this is what's so awesome about Old Testament stories is you get to see the effect of what happened. And so what was the effect of Josiah's repentance? He was a 26-year-old king presiding over a totally corrupt nation. He hears the scriptures, he repents of it, and it says that the Lord God draws back his judgment over the whole nation for a 20-year period of time. That's astonishing that because of the leadership and godliness of one man that the Lord would relent his judgment on a nation. Do you realize that your righteousness, the righteousness of your life, if you choose to live for the Lord, affects people around you? The sin of your life also affects people around you. 
But when you decide to turn away from your wickedness and live in a different way, the righteousness of your life affects people around you. It affects your immediate family. It affects your children. It affects your neighborhood. It affects this church. And it has the potential, believe it or not, of affecting this nation. Have you ever thought about that? We live near the Capitol. There's a lot of influential people sitting in this room right now. You have no idea what the Lord may use your choice of following after him for. So Josiah was convicted of his sins by reading the scriptures. He sought and received forgiveness from the Lord God by grace because he confessed his sins. And third, in chapter 23, in verse 3, there was a public commitment by the king to follow after the law of God. If you look at chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, once he figures all this out and sort of consolidates his thinking, he says, I want to make a commitment. He says to the high priest, I want you to get everybody together at the temple. Get everybody together, all the elders, all the locals in Jerusalem, because I've got something I want to say. And they all gather around, and he comes up in verse 3 by the pillar, and he says, the king stood by the pillar, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, and all his soul, and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book, and all the people joined in the covenant. So the king led. He led in a righteous way, and he said, I am going to follow after the Lord, and I'm going to make this thing public. I'm going to stand up before all the people and tell you I am going to strive to follow after the Lord. Will you follow the Lord with me? And it says that the people came in behind him, and they followed what he was doing. It's a remarkable story because what happens next is he puts his faith into action. My question for you is, are you committed to following the Lord with your life? Are you half-hearted or are you wandering? Every, and without any exception, every great Christian husband or wife, every great Christian leader is committed to the ways of the Lord from the heart in a way that is intentional and passionate. Josiah commits himself here before the Lord. Joshua, another great leader, this verse came to my mind almost immediately when he says at the end of the book of Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. You remember what he says after that? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So whatever else happened with everybody else, my, me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And God's put me in this position of leadership, and I, I want you to follow me. And the people did. They followed his leadership. That's Christian leadership. Josiah was committed with his whole heart to serve and obey the Lord. And so the fourth aspect of his character and the fourth aspect of his life is, is contained in verses 4 through 24, which is action. After you make a decision, you've got to act. You've got to get after it and do things. And so the first thing that he did was call the people to separation there always is a separation between the godly and the ungodly. We must not live the same way as the world. Followers of the Lord God are called to live in a different way, in a way that is righteous, in a way that is good, in a way that pleases the Lord, in the way that we speak, in the way that we worship, in what we value, in what we do for fun, how we conduct ourselves sexually, who we marry, how we raise our children, our entire life should look different than the way that the world lives. And so the first of Josiah's reforms takes us back to what I was saying earlier with the right or to the left. Sins of commission and sins of 
omission. So he starts with the sins of commission, things that the people were doing that were wicked. Before we can do things that are good, we got to stop doing things that are wicked. And so he starts cleaning house. He starts with the temple. Apparently, at this point in time, in verse 4, it says that they had idols and various instruments to Baal and Asherah in the temple. So Baal was the male Palestinian god, and Asherah was the female Palestinian god, and their union supposedly uh, produced 70 other gods, very similar to the Roman and Greek you know, pantheon of, of deities and lesser deities. Well, they had all this stuff in the temple. So the temple was just this generic place where people would just go to worship. If you want to worship this deity, do that. If you want to worship God, worship him. Worship whatever you want to worship. Josiah goes in, tears them down, takes them out, and burns them. Burns them and breaks them to pieces. Next, he fires all the priests throughout the country that are offering incense to Baal and the sun and the moon and the stars in verse 5. And in verse 7, this one blows my mind. They were apparently running a series of male prostitutes out of the temple. So out of the house of the Lord, he evicts these things. And if you think that's strange, read missionary biographies or start looking around the world. Pagan religions often fuse those two things together. And it's a part of why we must be different as Christians. And so he throws all them out. He goes to the valley of a place called Topeth and defiles it. The valley of Topeth is where the people were worshiping and offering their children as sacrifices to an Ammonite god called Molech, which was a big... Um, metal idol that had a bull head and a man's body and openings in the body and they would create a big fire in there and take their children and offer them to this God and burn them alive in this fire. It's just absolutely horrible and forbidden by the Lord on every part of his law. It just makes me think when he was reading through the law when he got to that part and, and how it was forbidden to do such things and thinking of this going on in his nation that he's the king of right now. No wonder he tore his robes and realized like, oh, this, is, I've got, this has got to stop. So he goes out and tears all them down. He removes in verse 11 the horses at the entrance to the house of the Lord that were dedicated to the sun and he burnt the chariots that were involved with it. He tore down the high places of worship in verse 13 to all the various foreign gods, the Sidonians, the Moabites, the Ammonites. He put away the mediums, which is witchcraft and dark magic. He put away all of that, and he turned back to the Lord. Exodus 20, 2 and 3, the first commandment of the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He couldn't make this land perfect, but he did the best he could as a king. I'm going to do the best I can, and on my watch, I'm going to clear this mess out, and I'm going to do the best that I can to make way for the people to serve the Lord and remove things that are wicked, distractions, so that I can get to the positive things, the sins of omission. What are we supposed to be doing that we're not doing? It says in verse 22 that he reinstated the Passover I've mentioned the Passover before here, and the Passover was the, the feast that the Lord had the people institute so that they would remember the coming out of Egypt. The Lord had the people do a number of feasts similar to Christmas and Easter for us where year after year after year we remember what the Lord has done for us so we don't forget the goodness of the Lord. And the people had not celebrated the Passover in 400 years. They had completely forgotten it. So this would be like, us forgetting Easter and Christmas completely. 
forgetting the resurrection of the Lord, forgetting the crucifixion of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, and someone reinstituting. Folks, we are going to remember the birth of Jesus Christ, and we're going to celebrate his resurrection, and we're going to do it this year. And so he brings back in the Passover, and it says there was, in verse 22 of chapter 23, for no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel. So this incredible Passover is kept, and the people's hearts are turned back towards the Lord And in verse 24, it says he establishes the word of the law. And so he begins to make sure that the scriptures are ministered not only to himself in the court, but to all the people that they might know what the will of the Lord is. It reminds me of the work of Martin Luther when he first translated the Bible back into German so the people could read the scriptures when they had been lost for hundreds of years. And it was a tremendous change came over the people when they were able to read the scriptures for themselves. So do not take for granted the opportunity that we have to read the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one. Come out here to our library. Karen or Christine will get you one. We have some there. If you don't have a study Bible, if what you're reading doesn't make sense to you and you need some help, we've got some great study Bibles out there. We would love to give you one. Just go out and ask them. We would be glad to give it to you. That's why it's there. So that resource might be put into your hand. So Josiah is convicted by Scripture. He's forgiven by grace. There's public commitments to God and a change of action, stopping what is evil and starting what is good. And the summary of his life comes down to verse 25 in chapter 23. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. With all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might, For the remainder of his time before he died in battle, which is recorded later, he served the Lord with his life, and he led the people with passion and strength and determination, and to me that is inspiring. I love reading about the lives of inspiring people, and Josiah is an inspiring example. It's better to learn from people that live well than to learn from the negative examples of people that live terribly. So I love reading about this guy. I love passionate people in general. I was watching... um, Lamar Jackson, a lot of people have enjoyed watching him this year. He's the new quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, sports figures come and go, but he's been great this year, breaking all kinds of records. And what I enjoyed was what the commentator said about him. He said, this guy loves football. He has been devoted to it his entire life. It's all he wants to do, and he works tirelessly to get to this point. So it's an interesting example of someone with great passion for sports, He's gotten there not by accident, not because he fumbled into it, because it's his life, and he loves it, and he's passionate about it week in, week out, on season, off season. It's what he does. What I want you, what I desire and pray and long for from you is for a similar passion for the Lord Jesus. I'm passionate about the Lord if you haven't noticed that. I, I love the Lord. It's what I've done since my youth. It's what I want to keep doing. It's what I love to do. It's what I spend my off time on. It's what I want to see, is to see you come to salvation if you don't know the Lord Jesus, and then I want to see you live for the Lord with a true heart passion that is all-consuming, that changes your life, that is reflected in your family, in your neighborhood, in your marriage. And so I feel like to do this I need to do the same thing. This was very convicting to me to read about verse 3, about Josiah coming before the people and committing himself to live for the Lord before them. 
So I do the same thing before you this morning. I commit myself as a leader to walk after the Lord, to live for him in every way that I can, keeping his commands, and that my house, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I am not a perfect person. And as long, once you get to know me well, you're going to start to see all kinds of faults and terrible things. And, but I seek forgiveness from the Lord, and the Lord forgives me. And I want to seek after him more and more. And so I will strive as a leader, as a pastor of this church, to live for the Lord before you in a way that helps to lead this church to know the Lord in holiness and in passion. But I urge you this morning to follow after the example of Josiah as well in leading a life that is separated from the wicked. Now, I don't mean by this that we go and live in a, in a monastery. People got this wrong in the, old age, in the Middle Ages. They went and created monasteries and cloistered themselves off from other people so they wouldn't have to be around the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living a righteous life amidst the world. That's the way of Jesus. We get into the middle of people because we want to see those people also come to know Christ as their Savior. But we don't live the same way as the world. We don't love the same way things the world loves. We don't talk the same way the world talks. We don't value the same thing the world values. I encourage you to turn to the Lord with your whole heart, not reserve any part of your heart for something else, not hold back something from the Lord that you choose not to give to him. Every other king recorded in the Old Testament, there's others that say, oh, they got rid of this and they got rid of that, but they decided to hold on to this one and to hold on to that one. And that's what got him in the end. It would grow up and overtake things. You must give your whole heart to the Lord. And in that, you will find that the ways of the Lord are ways of blessing and ways of goodness. And that the ways of the Lord are better than the ways of the world. Search the scriptures for direction. Number four, search the scriptures for direction. If you feel like you're lost and you don't know which way to go and you, you just don't know what's right from wrong and you need direction in your life, no matter where you are, we all need times where we need direction. Search the scriptures. It's from the scriptures that the Lord God will speak to you. And lastly, take real action. It's easy to hear certain things here or to even read certain things at home from the scriptures, but the scriptures warn us against those who look at themselves and see themselves as they really are like a mirror, but then they turn away from it and they don't do it. Action, obedience shows true faith. I encourage you to be a person of action. And if you are convicted even now of something that you know is in your life that should be gotten rid of, go home this afternoon and get rid of it. Throw it in the trash can, unplug it, turn it off. There's even a place in the book of Ephesians where they the Ephesian church, well, they burned stuff just to symbolically get rid of it. They wanted it out of their life. Purge your life of wicked things and look at what you've stopped doing. What has maybe fallen off in your life that you need to start doing again that's good and right? Take action today. Believe, repent, and perhaps recommit yourself to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this account of King Josiah. We thank you for his faithfulness and all that he did to turn Israel, an entire nation, back to you for a period of time. We thank you for your great mercy and love toward us that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die upon a cross that we might be forgiven of our sins. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring conviction upon us for sin and that we would readily and gladly confess our sins that we might be forgiven 
and that we would run in the way of righteousness, run in the way of the Lord and find it to be a good and joyful way. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.